many of us see Tesla as not only a once-in-a-generation company, but in fact a once-in-a-generation investment. But how do you evaluate what is a good investment? How do you consider the high-risk to the high-reward investment opportunity? So anytime I can, I really enjoy and I want to talk with those investors who began to invest in Tesla way back in 2012. I want to know what caught their eye, why they were bold enough to make that decision. I want to know what they think about Tesla right now and what's the risk that they're still remaining. So today we'll be talking with a person who was one of those early investors. We'll get him to share how he formed his thesis on the growth and market potential with the increasing demand of electric vehicles, renewable energy, and energy storage systems. We're also going to get him to evaluate the leadership team, the financials, the regulatory environment, and how it compares from the previous phase when Tesla was still competing against the, uh, the original electric vehicles uh, hybrids, and then today what's happening now with the competition. So ever since 2003, when Tesla was founded, it has grown rapidly, particularly in recent years, becoming one of the most valuable automakers in the world. But over that time, both um, the company and the stock the business experienced significant fluctuations in value, even almost going bankrupt in 2018. So today we've got Sat joining us. He was not only an early investor, but he was also one of the 50 retail investors who was invited to join Tesla's Investors Day earlier this year. Awesome, Sat. Thank you so much. I'm glad that we finally got to sit down and uh, talk to you. Thank you, Herbert. Thank you for having me. So Sat, you're going to help me get brighter. Let's get going. Okay, so first question for you, Sat, um, is that you know you were an early investor. You, uh, I want to hear what happened in 2012. I also invested in 2012, by the way, but I wanted to hear your story. What caught your eye? And I think you told me that you actually met Elon Musk uh, around that time too. So, yes. Uh, well, I was actually following, just reading about investments and finance, and uh, so I've been following Tesla since at least 2007. So it wasn't a coincidence in t 2012. I've been following Elon for five years. I was consuming yeah. every piece of news I could possibly consume. I knew about his background and, and his successes and so forth with other startups. And so by the time 2012 came around, there was already a bunch of other EV companies and uh, not just EVs, but uh, other OEMs that were making EVs, but most of it was compliance cars. And then the other car companies that are make, uh, making well, prototypes. And mm -hmm. as Elon said, prototypes are really easy to make, but execution and production is like really difficult. And so there's a bunch of them from some of them still remaining, but you know, Fisker, there's Coda Automotive, there was like Lorestown, there was uh, BYD wasn't really a player. They did just plug in hybrids and they were primarily in the domestic uh, market. And there was even IME, the Mitsubishi, there was Nissan Leaf. So there's been a, a bunch of Faraday Future. So there's so many other ones there. And then the only person that actually invested their own money who ran the company was Elon. That was the biggest yeah. difference out of everyone. And so when 2012 came around, I didn't uh, initially do the IPO for one reason. It's because they didn't have a factory. So when they procured the factory at the Numi factory, and they started production and they were getting ready for production. That's when I was for sure, okay, the founder put pretty much the rest of his whole assets there. And then they actually have a factory that's produced something. So that's when I was able to say with conviction that this is probably going to work out. 
but it was still scary, right? The psychology behind <laughs> the stock market there was was not there. Like there was a counter a website for when it's going to go bankrupt and and pounding <laughs> on Tesla, like every corner that you could think of. So there's a reason why I stayed low, uh, you know, and then mm-hmm. didn't keep up with a lot of social media or anything like that. There's just so much negativity, you couldn't believe it. You think today has it bad? Like back then, it was really bad. And so when Elon would come out every interview, and I could understand his rationale, and he's putting his money behind it, I was like, okay, I could put some of my money in it, and he's gonna put pretty much half his his assets in there besides SpaceX, which which was also at a certain point struggling at the same time. So it was very clear to me at that point that it's possible to go in. So every time I could get more money and save more money, I would go in there and then yeah. start investing more. And then, and then I went to a New York conference in 2013, uh, I think the first half of the year of 2013, and he was gracious enough to stay after his interview. And mm-hmm. a bunch of us went up and we just talked to him. So I asked him about the truck, which became the Cybertruck six years later. And when, when I was talking to him one-on-one, he just talked to me as someone who was really interested in engineering and making a new product. Like I haven't had that kind of experience with CEOs where they give you like pre-scripted answer. It's like really PR related kind of answer. They don't really want to tell you anything, but he just really dove down and talked about the product and uh, what, what segment they should be. in. they probably should be in the truck side too. And so he was very sincere and genuine about talking it. And I'm nobody. Right. And he's willing to talk to a bunch of us and answer these questions. And he doesn't have to, he could just leave and go. And he had a bunch of other stuff to do. And that also told me that he was really serious about his product. He cared about who cares about his products. That attitude was everything. Because I've been to other shareholder meetings and the attitude towards their company and their product and service tells volumes of how they're going to go about doing things when things get hard. Not when things are great, but when things are really hard. And so that's the other thing what I did was I've been to every single physical shareholder meeting at Tesla until they made it a lottery. So I've been to it for 10 straight years. So I've seen the growth and the change. And the first few years was really gloomy. It was really this like depressive feeling. And then like 2013, 14 came around and it it tripled and quadrupled that year. That's when it started changing trajectory. So that's, that's the first gist of how I got into Tesla. But I've been to every single shareholder meeting. I've seen the rise. It's, it's been a quite a journey. This is exciting. I love it. So, uh, so I also invested in 2012 um, in exactly the same reason. It was because when he decided he was going to invest money too, 95 million is what I remember at the time. And I thought, okay, if he's going to put in the money, I will also. Um, uh, I invested in a bus electric vehicle called Ballard that it still exists today, but it basically it's never succeeded. So I lost a lot of money. Uh, and then I saw the, the, you know, the, the excitement of the 2013 rise, but I can't believe you attended all of these shareholder meetings. So you were really interested every year and it was, it must've been hell, right? Cause it was, the stock was flat for six years and yes. we, so, we just, yeah. So what was interesting is that, so it's really hard to have access to executives, right? Especially when they're a startup and they're super busy and they're bootstraps. So the only time I can actually ask a question directly to the executive team is at the shareholder mm-hmm. meeting. So gotcha. some of the old videos, if you look it up, I went up in, in the Q&A and I asked them questions. <laughs> that was my way of interviewing the CEO without asking for an interview. <laughs> yeah. so that I, that's why I really miss going to shareholder meeting. Like I love talking to the executives. And so this is the other yeah. part that happened at the shareholder meeting. It used to be like 15 people, 30 people at max, right? 
So they had plenty of time to talk, right? And the first VP of retail they had was George Blankenship. And if you mm-hmm. know him, he was the VP of retail for Apple. So I yes. asked him, so what's the similarities that you worked under Steve Jobs and then now you're working under Elon Musk? And the response that he told me was very telling. And that's why like, I love talking to executives who work under these visionaries. Yeah. And he said visionary, right? He said, when you're working under a visionary, when you need to shift right or left, you can move mm-hmm. really fast. That's what he was talking about. And that's exactly what Elon did. You need to move fast. He was able to do it. But if you're in a big corporation, you're going to take forever to move. And you've seen the result the last decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is so good. <laughs> it's gold. Thank you for t- sharing that. Tell me about uh, the, the, he actually talked about the truck way back in 2013. He'd already had that in his eye, even when he had just built the Roadster. They were still about to launch. I guess the Model S was recently launched. He was already thinking about the truck at that time? Yeah, because people still ask, you know, even now they ask, someone asked him about the minivan, right? So he said, yeah, it's probably yeah. a good place to be in. So I wanted to clarify more on like, you know, how serious he was about that comment. So I asked him, like, so, you know, you're talking about being in a pickup truck space. And I talked to him about, you know, if we're going to be in that space at all. And he said, yeah, it would be a good space to be in because one of the largest segments, especially in the U.S., to be in that space. But he didn't comment on that for like five years, right? right? He didn't say anything about it for like five years. So unless you followed him very closely and you remember these small things, you won't remember it. And then all of a sudden it comes out. So it's it's not like he's saying some of these stuff that's so ahead of us that you don't recall unless you remember it. And then it's like, oh, wait, five years later, he mentioned that. And he's actually <laughs> executing on what he said. He just didn't want to focus on it. So he didn't mention it. So that's something that I that I know is that he when he's saying certain things, he's doing the best guess of what that forward-thinking statements he's making, and he's trying to execute on it. He's not trying to fluff it up. He's not making this stuff up. He actually said it six years later. He announced the Cybertruck. So there's some like serious credibility there that people don't give him credit for that he follows through with some of the, the most of the statements that he says. There's certain time difference you have to put in the Elon time, but. He definitely is, is a product person. He focuses on that for sure. Okay. So, Sat, you, one of the big topics we want to cover today, right, is that you were there from 2012. And so there was an early competitive market. There was that early kind of rising startup. Well, how was Tesla going to survive this? And then here we are today and the current environment that it is. But you wanted to just like compare the two together, right? So let's start with um, the first phase of the early electric vehicle market. What was it like in the early years? Yeah, in the early years, it was very, uh, very much about there's no demand, absolutely no market. Nobody wants to buy it. Uh, very, very short range. It was a, akin to a golf cart. And you had the former sure. VP of GM really saying, you know, great for making a car, but they'll never succeed and they'll go bankrupt, right? And so you have so many of this stuff happening. And then because of cap, uh, the CFE standards of California, just companies making compliance cars. So there's even a Ford mm-hmm. Focus Electric. There's an iMeV. Uh, Nissan Leaf was the actual only real program that actually was put forth with a lot of money and capital. The unfortunate part of it is that this kept it that. They didn't improve it. They had like one major refresh since then, and it's really gone nowhere. So you used to have other players that, were, that had a chance to dominate the, the EV space, but they didn't. 
because they didn't have the leadership and management believing in that product. Right. So when Elon's believing the product and there's trouble, he puts all his assets into it. That's that says something about that company that you know that the survivability of that company is much higher, even though you know the risk is very very high. You know that the product that they're making is so good that it's gonna get there. And I didn't have to see the product to know. Like I didn't actually see the physical product until the latter half of 2013 when I test drove a Model S in New York. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was yeah. high traffic, so I didn't go very fast. But to actually see and, and <laughs> yeah, exactly, there's too many yeah. traffic. But yeah. you, I could tell it's a solid car. It's it's gonna do great. So when you see that difference in the early stages, where it was all about compliance and it was no market at all, and people could just justify whatever they said. Whatever they're saying today, which doesn't, which falls short, it, it was true because there was no numbers to back it up. And, you know, Tesla's, you couldn't financially model it also. Like I asked a friend's friend who was a financial model and it's like, could you model Tesla? And it's like, no, because it's negative. What's the P ratio? Zero, right? You, you can't, you can't do a financial modeling when it's zero and there's no yeah. revenue growth that's going to be plus anytime soon. So there's no way yeah. you can model it in the traditional way that you're thinking. So nobody covered it either. And since nobody covered it, the first headline that comes out is what everyone believed. And yeah. they can say that, oh, there's no market, there's nothing, right? But every year they're making more progress each time. And in there, there was a Who Killed Electric Car uh, and then the Revenge of the Electric Car film too. Those were the early yes. days and people loved their EVs and GM could have owned it too. Like there's so many players that could have owned the EV space. It's, it's ridiculous how so many of them just passed it up. They, there's at least two or three other OEMs that could own the EV space today. If you could show the new, uh, yeah, let's show that slide. But they probably knew what was going to happen, where they're cannibalizing their existing ICE cars, and that they would not be able to make that transition. And so, why bother doing it? I don't know. That could be one reason that they didn't decide to do it. Right. So this is an amazing table that you shared. You wanted folks to see it. So this is ten years of global electric vehicle sales. And you can see that the years go from 2011 all the way to 2021. Let me try to see if I can make this rise up here. So what are we looking up here? Yeah, so in 10 years ago, or almost 10, more than 10 years ago, the market was pretty much non-existent. Yeah. And you can see the amount of growth that it has gone to uh, up in 2021 uh, for this chart is 6 point something million uh, units. And you can see China's really pushing it too. They're going ahead really fast. So we went from 55,000 in 2011 to 6.8 million in 10 years. So that's a lot of, of traction that we're, we're getting. And if you go to the bottom, you see the most best-selling EV during that time in the U.S. And it was a Nissan Leaf. And then the second, the, the other year was Chevy Volt. Uh, both of them are pretty much very low on sales or non-existent. So you see the trajectory it's, it's in the U.S. It's dominated by, by Tesla. Yeah, that's and It's crazy because the, the Model S is an $80,000 car. So yeah, that's, so you, you talk about units that, and it's also costing four or five times more than, than the, the Nissan Leaf. It used to be like 20 something thousand dollars. You had the $75,000, $7,500 uh, credit plus the state credit. So you, you even despite the price being so much cheaper, because the spec specifications of the product is inferior on so many levels. And so this is the other part too. 
Like yeah. when you put all your money and do the right product with the right quality, it's going to yeah. pay dividends in the long run. And this is, what's, this is what happened in the early years that people don't realize is that Nissan Leaf made it cheaper. So they made it cheap because they thought it was about cost, right? It's all about price and they didn't think about quality. It has to go with the quality. And and Elon made that decision like you have to make a good product that's significantly better. He's repeated this multiple times. But Nissan Leaf, what happened with the battery degradation was terrible. Like in Arizona with the the high dry desert heat, mm-hmm. the battery would get hit double digits and percentage of degradation in one year. It was crazy amount of degradation because they used a they, they didn't use a liquid cooling system like Tesla did. They used a fan. It's a fan-based cooling system. So it didn't matter how much fan that you, you would push air in, it still wouldn't cool it enough because it's so hot outside. Whereas Tesla spent a lot of money making developing that li- liquid cooling system. So you didn't you even even the uh the de- battery degradation, even to this day, Tesla is one of the best, if if not the best. And very little degradation for the reason they put a lot of research in, in developing of that liquid cooling system. And that was the first big step in the battery technology because the cooling system maintaining that battery health was the number one right. reason why that these didn't last. Because you could say it went 200 miles, but when the heat came or the winter came, it got annihilated. And then it was a like a permanent damage to the battery. Yeah. So you would want to spend money where it's actually going to work and then last. And it wouldn't last if the battery was getting degraded so fast. So they don't account that product decline partly because the product wasn't good. It didn't have the quality to last. And the battery was pretty much everything. Now you have a little more leeway because it's gotten cheaper. But the battery was so important. And Tesla spent all the research on there. And they made it right. They've never been a fire with the batteries with uh, Panasonic and Tesla. Never. And yet you'd have these headlines. I'm pretty sure you yes. read it. where the car yeah. goes through a wall, the driver hits a tree, and then walks out alive with minor injuries. And then the, the headline would be like, oh, there's a battery fire. It's like, did you not understand the accident? It's like, of course, there's going to be a battery fire because you, he went through a wall and destroyed the car. And yet the guy is alive, and they don't say it saved a life. And you have multiple events like this where literally these people would, should have been dead, and they would be alive. And nobody would mention about the safety of the vehicle either. Okay, so I am blown away by this chart. So thank you for sharing this because, uh, you know, obviously we've forgotten what happened. The Nissan Leaf, the Volt, these hybrids, they were selling, but they're in such tiny little numbers at the time because people were just, you know, not, not, there was no real benefit in an electric vehicle except if you are a person who cares about the environment, you're going to go and buy it, but you're going to suffer through all the negative issues with it, including the batteries. Then Tesla Model S, which is 100,000 plus cars, comes out and it starts to sell. But then it really takes off once uh, right here when they've even at that, that high price point, it goes crazy because they weren't just selling it to against other electric vehicles. They were just saying, hey, we're just a car and we're better than other cars and, you know, we're equivalent. And uh, and then they, it really made a difference. Right. That's how they kind of uh, thought of it. Yeah. This is wonderful. And then, of course, because Tesla started to show it, led the way, they started to show everyone else how it was done, we start seeing this. So tell me about the China market. Do you know much about this? What was uh, driving this growth while the U- uh, Tesla was still primarily selling in the U.S.? 
Well, I think also one thing I did do was I, when I first invested in Tesla, I actually, I actually invested in BYD at the same time. Oh, you did? But there were several reasons. Yeah, I, I invested in, in BYD as well. Uh, and I read about the founder, Warren Buffett, had invested in them. And I know that's a good company. But there's two major reasons why I divested and went into Tesla is that one, it was really difficult to get inf transparent information from them because it was only in the, in the China market. I don't speak the language. So I couldn't get the transparent numbers accurately in a timely fashion. And number two, they're a battery cell, uh, cell phone manufacturer. So that's their main source of income. It was not making a vehicle. It was another segment, product segment they were going into. So they're going to make uh, battery cells for cars. Uh, they're going to, they're making, they started making cars, but there are usually hybrids or plug-in hybrid of, of sorts. And so even, even today, like I'm glad they're going into different markets in Europe and they started going into uh, Japan and, and they're trying to, I guess, come into us as well eventually. But the thing is they're, they're coming off of a plug-in hybrid. That's where they're coming in from. And there are, you know, cell phone manufacturer at first. So they're concentrated on that side of the business. So to jump completely 100% into the battery electric didn't seem plausible. And Elon was actually asked in an interview, like, well, you know, there's BID as a competitor. They, they've always wanted to ask them about competitors. And mm -hmm. his response was, the car? Because they made cars on a domestic level. So that's great. You know, they're focusing on it. And uh, in some sense, you could say maybe they did the right track because they want to focus on their own market first. But they weren't making vehicles that fit the that meet the federal regulation, the safety regulations for Europe or or the U.S. or for the global market. So even if they made the same amount of vehicles, it's not the same quality as a Tesla. Because Tesla from day one was meant to be built for the global market. So they always built it with the safety regulations that would meet the standards of the global market, Europe, the U.S., Asia, wherever it was going to be. So the standard in which they had to invest in to make that happen was much higher. The crash testing they had to do takes a lot of money for NHTSA and all that stuff to clear. So they didn't have to do any of that stuff. They're focused on the domestic part. So that's part of the reason why I think they're able to, uh, the car manufacturers in China are able to go faster because their regulation is different. If you only focus on one, it's a lot easier than to change for the entire global market. So that's also the other part. And Tesla also being part of the, you know, the leader, they also, you know, piggyback off of Tesla. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is good. I'm glad that you brought up BYD being a, initially an, a, um, a phone manufacturer, cell phone manufacturer. So um, you wanted to talk about innovation, uh, that the business model is what mattered. And so how did the transition from the early days, right? Because the early days were, as, we, as you described very nicely, where they were really at that very beginning just trying to prove that an electric vehicle is even a thing, that the batteries is important. And then, then that now where we're at today. So, yeah, how did you how do you see the innovation being a, a business model? Part of it was uh, first, you know, I know you love Apple and uh, yeah. the iPhone, <laughs> and yeah. I, I I actually had a conversation around 2008 uh, with a, a portfolio manager and about the iPhone. Right, it had just come out. It was a new thing, and yeah. you know the the conclusion of that what he said, it was like, well, you know, the competition is coming. And that stuck to me because for the rest of, until now, that phrase comes up so often. If I got a dollar for every time I got that, I would be a millionaire <laughs> yeah. just with that comment. It's, it's exactly. crazy that you could just say, oh, there's competition coming. But 
if you actually look behind the scenes, it's like the iPhone product itself is what everyone focuses on. They think that was the innovation. That wasn't the main innovation that made it popular and placed into the hands of people. And the reason why is because the cell phone back then was paid out of pocket, completely out of cash, and it was like usually 40 bucks. And then they came out with a phone that was $500. It's more than 10 times the price. So everyone was laughing at Apple's iPhone Mm -hmm. because it's so expensive. But the cell phone industry did not have this month-to-month thing where you pay part of the cost of the phone with your phone bill. That was innovations in the in the business model that enabled people to have it, even though the cost of the phone was 10 times more. So you're doing a monthly payment, then it's a lot easier to do it. You pay 20 to 40 bucks a month or whatever it is that was really cheap to be able to get a phone that was worth 10 times more. And the, and the interesting part is that you think that because of the mass production that it would get cheaper, but it didn't. It's actually twice the price now. If you get the, right. one of the top of the lines, the new one, it's $1,000. So this notion of uh, the, the, the price is, is cheaper is always going to be better or because it's mass produced, it's going to get cheaper. No, it's not because the product itself, the value became so much more valuable that it's a combination between a, a portable palm and a computer. Because back then you had palm, that was the nearest thing they had. People never realized that it became a computer in itself. So it actually is cheaper because you could basically have a very powerful computer in the hands of your hand. So the value has gotten up significantly more. So even the price had gone up, it's it's not expensive when people can understand the value of that product. And then the business model enabled it for them to get it cheaper. And that's the major part of why a normal person can actually afford an iPhone. And this is the interesting part too. I first invested in Apple a little bit, and then I switched to Netflix. And then I went into Tesla. I was still in Tesla at the same time with Netflix, but I was focusing on Netflix more. And and I got for Netflix, I think I got to somewhere around 45,000% return, right? Mm-hmm. And then, so when I was researching even Netflix's business model, it's not just the fact that they're doing, you know, sending DVD rentals and there was no stores. It was the fact that in the website, they had an algorithm they built so that it recommends the films in which you liked. Mm-hmm. And so if a person like horror, they would give him horror recommendations. If you like action, they give you action recommendation. And that's a lot of the stuff that they use today, like people take for granted, like Amazon and other websites mm-hmm. that have the products, they recommend certain ones based on your shopping history that you may like because it's in your interest. And because a certain type of uh, licensed licensing they have with these uh, IPs of the movies, you get more viewership because you're recommending this, the, the audience, the viewer, what they want. So actually the viewership went up for these movies that was, you'd be stuck in the corner in the blockbuster or it, they wouldn't be available at blockbuster because nobody would watch it. So you would have these, you know, digital versions or DVD rentals that's av- available in a storage and you could click on it to get it and they're recommended to you. That was the innovation behind Netflix's business model where they recommend it to you. So the customer's happy because they get the uh, in, uh, the movies that they're interested in. And then they can go back and when they do the license and say, hey, you could pay us more because we're actually giving you more viewership. So that business model changing behind the scene is what's really important. And so even with the EV, but people don't, I don't think people put two to two together because it's so far removed, but because we take the utility companies for granted. And it's a, this is the thing about electricity. You can't, like make electricity or get it from the solar and then ship it over to overseas. 
That's not how electricity works. You have to make it locally. So the fact that you're you're paying electricity to fuel your car, even if it was the same price as gas, I would still do electricity because who are you paying taxes to? The city tax, the utilities tax. So the fact that you're using electricity in your own home, in your local area, you pay taxes mm-hmm. back to your own economy in your own city. And that's that's going to foreign oil. When you buy gasoline, it goes out of the country. You're exporting all that extra tax dollars of the gas out, outside the country. That's not good for any country. So the fact that you're using electricity goes back into your local economy. That's the business model that's changing, that the influx of money that's going to come back into on a city level. So people don't realize like even that part of the difference in how you feel changes where the economics goes, where the money goes. So if you're funding billions of dollars to foreign oil and that billion dollar goes back into your own city, imagine what how much more revenue they have to work with to improve your own city. So that's the part of the business model that people don't understand that you're not just changing your own economics of just buying a car and not going to a gas station. You're actually helping your own own community. I love it. That's wonderful. I thought you were going to go and talk about how Tesla is an innovative company and that's why you invested in it. Yeah. So that- the other part, mm-hmm. yeah. So the other part is that what's interesting about also Tesla's uh, vehicles is that because there's so much value to it, people are willing to do the calculation. They realize, I mean, at the time, it was one fifth the cost of gasoline. So you pay, you pay one fifth to refuel the car. So you have to put that into calculation when you're buying the car because you're looking at the total cost of operation. And so when it becomes that much cheaper, then it makes sense and people would actually move up. They would move up from the this market segment of the vehicle that they're in. They move into a Tesla because they also had the 50 kilowatt uh, Model S. They, they had the different tiers, at the 85 and 50, and then they had, I think one was 40. They only did it briefly because nobody wanted it. They wanted more range, but because the product is also giving you so much more and yeah. you have barely any maintenance of any kind besides the washer fluid and tire rotation, mm-hmm. that it made sense to, to have that car. So when, when you're looking at these numbers and the product being superior, and uh, what's interesting is that um, the first Model S was 0 to 64.4 seconds and 260-something miles. That was that was the first the Model S. And then the really crazy part is that most of the other EVs don't even hit those numbers. Yeah. It just beat it, like in the recent couple of years. Like, and it was 10 years, it's 10 years old. That metric is still very much a standard. And so people don't realize like the product they made back then is still very much a very good product today, wow. even if they did zero improvement on it. Only recently with more higher prices, do you have cars that are going exceeding that? So what's really crazy is that, you know, when I go back to the Nissan Leaf, which which could have had that market, their their current car is less than that. The current car <laughs> yeah. right now, the 62 kilowatt yeah. Nissan Leaf they have goes less than the Model S from 2012. It, it's crazy. Yeah. So the the product that they have is so good that they don't we don't realize that we took it we take it for granted how much work that Tesla has been doing with the product they even initially made. Okay, this is great. I love it. You're just dropping information I didn't even know about. This is good. One thing after another. Okay, so you did a good job covering the first phase of electrical vehicle growth and how Tesla had to survive 
create an innovative product, uh, beat the existing. <laughs> At that point, people just didn't even know and weren't even going to buy an EV. So now to fast forward to today, love to talk about Investor Day. Uh, we'll talk about the competitors today, the price cuts, and those kind of things. So tell me about the situation now and the competitors. Are they coming? Is that? Have they come? <laughs> Yeah, so one of the things I, I want to um, have is show the Nissan Leaf um, sales. Oh, and then should we show that the, first? You want to show that now? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because okay, part of what I want to segue into is show how even the competition that has died off and then the ones that haven't, where they are standing today. What's really interesting is that uh, Nissan Leaf was in 2013 was around, go down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oops. Uh, there we go. So you want me to scroll down? Yeah. yeah. So in 2013, it was, they sold 22,610 vehicles. Yeah. So yeah. And Tesla sold uh, 22,477 vehicles, but there, it was Model S. The price of the vehicle was four times more or five times more. So what's, what's really interesting is that Tesla sold around the same amount as Nissan Leaf did, and the car, mm -hmm. but the car costs like four or five times more. And the, at the peak, they sold 30,000 in 2014. And if you mm -hmm. um, go to the I chart for, for today, if you could show the chart for today, yeah. uh, and th they were the best selling EV during that year. And basically, nine, nine years later, in 2022, they're number 12, and they sold 12,025. Oh, hold on. What are we? Okay, so just to set people up here, this, this is the U.S. electric vehicle sales in all of 2022. So you've got Tesla Model Y right at the top. People can't see this because like, I had to. Yeah, and, and the number 12 is where here Nissan is Leaf right, is. Right here. It's, and they, they only sold 12,000 for the entire year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they've done worse than they did nine years ago. Whereas you yeah. look at Tesla, even the Model S is at 28,000. Right, the Model that, that, S, that, which is <laughs> right, uh, can't even see it. Where is it now? Model S would be, where is it? Right, right. At, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six. The number six. This one, right okay, there. Okay, this model. Yeah, yeah. it's twenty-eight thousand, twenty, almost twenty-nine thousand, right? And it's gotcha. significantly more expensive vehicle, right? So they maintained their, you know, a lot of it. They're still in a refresh. They're still ramping up on it. But the other thing is that you know the other models, the X, Y, and the three, they're you know, and then YN3 is like basically dwarfing everything now. So they've yeah. innovated and come up with new products. And you could see that even the existing ones that there is going down. And then you have other players that's coming up. Uh, Hyundai is pushing really hard forward uh, with the Mach-E Mach and stuff like that. But the thing is, uh, what's really interesting is that which one of them are actually making money off of it. So even if you have yeah. units, you still have to make money off of it. And Tesla has always been able to make that product with a profit. Like they're not losing money when they're selling a product. So for their finances to get positive, it took a while, but the product itself is not negative. So you know, they have the cost structure set up properly. And that was the main reason why Elon had to take over in the first place because the cost structure wasn't there. So right. they've, they've been really efficient with their capital. And I don't, I don't think people can understand that they lose perspective how efficient Tesla has been, and they still are. Even when they're having gro gross margins and gross profit and all the numbers are going up like crazy, 
and you could be, you know, cheering on and, and not look at it to to do any cost reduction or anything. He still does cost reduction. He has to, you know, they go over and then do some layoffs because they want to make sure they're lean. They're not having too many people for excessive uh, jobs and whatnot. So they have, and then go to the jobs that they actually need to go forward. And Tesla's been very good at their uh, capital efficiency. So if you look at even the new players that's coming in, uh, Rivian, Lucid, uh, Xpeng, Neo, Hyundai, Kia, um, and GM, I'm kind of questioning because they're like, they had the big battery issue. And so in Nikola, which went bankrupt already, well, technically they're on their way, if not officially, but you know they had a valuation of several billion dollars, even though they were on frontline headline news that they're a fraud, right? So you have these companies that now it's the second wave of them. And then now BRD is coming back up again with their uh, vehicles and so forth on a domestic level. But even even with BID, so I want to give one color is that they include NEVs. So mm-hmm. when people are using these total numbers, it's not apple to apples. So yeah. NEVs is, is a neighborhood electric vehicle. It doesn't have to have the same safety regulations or go even go through any of it. So to say that you have this explosion of NEVs sales and you put them to a total of the BEV sales, that's not that's not a right comparison. And so it's interesting when people use these total numbers and you actually break it down. Like you're not doing the same thing. It's it's not the same thing. And also it's way cheaper. So you can't just count like numbers and just look at the percentage growth. It's great that they're doing that and they're able to sell. But when you're comparing to Tesla, you can't say that, oh, they're doing significantly better, which I've seen plenty of articles saying that. So it's really interesting when people actually look inside of it. It's not the same thing. So even even so the... Uh, interesting part is that when I looked at Rivian as well, and I, I want them to succeed, and I've seen plenty of them. I think the product's really great, but something's wrong with their cost structure, and I, mm. I, I'm just flabbergasted at their their cost structure. If you can, uh, do we look at up, that uh, next? Yeah, yeah. let's go ahead and do that. Okay. I do want to talk to you about investor data because we were talking about cost reductions. So let's uh, yes. let's go do Rivian, and then I want to get back to. Uh, let's see, Rivian. Here we go. Whoa. Lots of numbers, charts, and graphs. Okay, go ahead. What are we looking at here? So you see at uh, December 31st, 2022, uh, if you look at loss of operations, even the gross profit, it's negative 3 billion. Loss of operations is like 6.8. And in net loss, 6.7 billion. So What's really interesting is that their year that they, they produced twenty something thousand vehicles, so it's it's a, comparable to the twenty thirteen year of Tesla. Tesla sold around twenty two thousand, so it's around the same mm-hmm. in terms of deliveries that they made. But mm-hmm. Rivian lost six point seven billion dollars, which is pretty pretty insane. <laughs> so in twenty thirteen, basically Tesla uh, net income. Net loss was seventy four million. So, and the prior year, two thousand twelve was three hundred ninety six million loss, right? So, even if you look at like how Tesla is working, like in the crazy part, six point seven billion, like that's more than the entire market cap of Tesla in twenty thirteen. Like, so you're saying that okay, uh, both companies, uh, you know, Elon very clearly said that nor his strategy is to sell a very expensive car. Uh, 
and then use the profits of that to sell a medium, you know, car that's more more available, and then so forth. But you know, so Rivian is obviously doing the same thing, possible over one hundred thousand dollars for the car, but they are not somehow able to create the manufacturing of this in a right sized way, and so. Yeah, Elon has already said, he's warning that both Lucid and Rivian are not long for this day. He said, right, they're not long for this world. They're going to die soon. And you're saying that even when you compare back to early days and Tesla was building this car similar to the Rivian now, they still somehow kept their cost structure in check. And that's the difference. Because yes. it this kind of bleed, it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter like if they had 16 or so, and now they have 11 billion left. But at this burn rate, it doesn't matter how, how much money you have. You're, you're going to run out of steam at very soon. It's and to lose that amount in one year and the amount of production you're doing. It's they're like one of the things like they were doing was they announced they're going to have a second factory, but the first factory wasn't even ramped up. It still mm -hmm. isn't. So it doesn't make sense why you're moving mm -hmm. ahead with these really capital intensive projects when you haven't even done one. And so that's why with Tesla focused on just one factory. <laughs> they made it work as best as possible. They only made it vegan Nevada to start making the battery cells to focus on making their own battery packs. So there's a step that they're taking, they have to take in order to do it. They're trying to maximize every spot that they're at, every step that they're at. And that's the other part that like, it seems to be like everyone focused on the product and just, just the numbers or the financials of how many deliveries and how much revenue it is. But when you look at the, like what, what Rivian has done, they made a great product. The only thing is that somehow their cost isn't in line or the pricing yeah. isn't right, or maybe it's both. But I think they put too much into it and the price is too low or their cost is also, they put in too much stuff and they need to take stuff off so the cost isn't gonna be so high. But to lose 6.7 billion and Tesla's in, in just a, even, and that's the thing is like cumulatively it was like 1 billion because I have the, uh, the, the annual, you know, report from 2012 for Tesla, right? Accumulated okay. to 2012, December was like a billion dollars. That's what they're saying, if I'm reading it correctly. And so yeah. it's, and the net loss was 396 million in 2012 and, and December 31st, right? So when you're looking at that comparison, it's like there's just because you have this abundance of it of capital and the capital markets are favorable to you because of Tesla and you have a, a gigantic amount and you go and waste it, it doesn't mm -hmm. help anybody. It doesn't help the EV, EV community, EV industry within itself. And Lewis is an even worse situation. And the thing is what's, at least Rivian has the right product in the right product segment because nobody's done an electric vehicle for a truck that's on sale today right now. Yeah. Uh, Elon and Tesla is right, right behind. They're coming out with a Cybertruck later this year. But Lucid, on the other hand, is like, we're not short of a luxury car. And so when you price it like 50% more expensive than a Model S and say that, oh, you have a 500 plus mile uh, electric vehicle and it goes the farthest. Well, what's interesting about that rationale is that in 2013 or 14, I forgot which shareholder meeting it was, Elon was asked about that, about the distance of the, of the car yes, because I they wanted something longer, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So he said, yeah, we can make a car that goes 500 miles. It just costs too much and it will price out pretty much everyone. So unless you're buying an like exotic, exotic car, you're not going to be able to buy it. So what's the point of having a car that goes that far and it's so too expensive? And yet that very thing that 
Elon had responded to, Lucid did. So they made this super expensive car, like, starting $160,000 or whatever. Well, you, you, you might as well get a like Taycan or a Porsche, like what, or another ex- exotic car, right? So how would you be able to sell that many and be consistent? And then they, they, their cost structures and their, their sales are going down. And because you have a lot of capital behind you being funded and the capital market is stable as well, and they have a big fund uh, that's helping them. So just because you have a lot of cash doesn't mean that you're going to be successful. You still have to be good with the product and your cost uh, efficiency. And yeah. Tesla has been really good with the efficiency of the, the use of the, cra- the capital that they don't give credit enough. Like They don't get enough credit for that. The amount of efficiency that they had with the such a huge headwind. And there's a reason why pretty much all the other car companies in a hundred years, Tesla's the first one that hasn't gone bankrupt and with the exception mm-hmm. of Ford as well. But there's a reason why all of them go bankrupt because they think, oh, it's all about money. It's about money. It's a capital intensive industry, but no, it's not. You have to make a compelling product that people want to drive that has significant enough difference and advancements in it that you'd forego the current one and then go into a, a Tesla or EV. So that's that's the part that I want to point out. It's like there's there's something wrong with what their cost is doing to be that overrun. Because uh, Tesla started at around 1.6 billion uh, in t- 2012, their market cap. I think it was less than 4 billion in uh, 2013. 6.7 billion loss means that you're 50 percent more than the market cap of Tesla in 2013. So you, you literally go bankrupt and then you still lo- Oh, like two, two more billion dollars. Like, like, like how, how, there has to be something wrong with the management to be that far off. Right. So yeah. hopefully they'll get the cost structure in, in line, but it's, I love the product. I, I hope they get it fixed because it's, it'll be detriment for everyone. It's not something I want to see, but when I see these numbers, it's like, there's this, some, someone's not doing their job right in, the, in that field. And to Tesla to have such a low, loss compared to it when they were like saying back back in the day it's like oh huge losses there's 300 million it's like 70 million right. it's so huge but in in retrospect it's actually very good they're really good with it and then they they were able to hit the 25 percent gross margin 30 percent gross margin because as part of his compensation package in 2012 compensation package was to hit 30 percent gross margin on their vehicles so i don't see that as a metric for the the other electric vehicle companies so even the metric and what they're trying to hit is different. And it's interesting that they criticize Elon about it. Like uh, Lucid CEO saying, oh, you know, production hell is only a Tesla. And it's like, lo and behold, everyone else is going through the same thing. Yeah. So. I love it. So what you've pointed out is something that many of us investors kind of know, but didn't really focus on, which is it's not about just creating a credible, compelling product, a car with tremendous amount of features that really changes the game, but you got to do it in a way that's cost effective, cost efficient, capital efficient, and the factories is the product. And that's what they meant when they keep saying the factory is the product, right? They need to make things in a very effective way. Production is hard. It's production hell. So you went to Investor Day and this four hours of Investor Day was almost all about cost reduction what they're going to continue doing for cost reduction, what they've done with cost reduction. So first of all, can you share, how did you get the invite to be one of the only 50 people? Uh, are you friends with Martin Vick? Uh, uh, do you have a lot of shares? I, 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 was, yeah. I was shocked. Uh, maybe it's, I think oh, it's, it, it probably has to do with the shares and then the length of time you've had it too. And then yeah, okay. probably not, not 
to be too exposed on social media because I met a couple other um, two or yes. three other retail investors and they kind of like one guy was even less less than me in terms of social media. He didn't even have anything. Uh, yeah. He had a LinkedIn or something that that was it. So there's basically retail investors as in for close to a decade or if not yeah. like decade like myself and yeah. they had a low profile. And so it was really interesting. That's to why me I that, wasn't oh. invited. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I've been there for a decade, but I got a higher profile, I guess these days. But okay, it's, it was hilarious too. This this one guy, he actually printed a shirt because his wife got him to buy Tesla, get into Tesla, and then he's yeah. the one who got invited to Investor Day. So he wore a short uh, shirt that with his his wife, kind of have a little <laughs> smile with a smirk, kind of being jealous. It's hilarious. He was absolutely hilarious. That's funny. <laughs> Okay, so you got invited to Investor Day. Yeah. Go ahead. No, interesting part is that, so he was part of my group and he knew so much. I, I don't know very yeah. much about battery, but he knew a lot about battery. And I was like, how, how do you know so much about battery? Like, is that your job or something? No, he said that he just reads up on it. So you have these retail investors that are just very highly in tune with a lot of stuff. And what's really difficult now is that Tesla's in so many fields now that you, that you can't be an expert in everything in it anymore. Like you have there's certain segments that you can focus on, but you can't be expert on everything. There's so much to cover with Tesla now. Well, this is cool because now I've got, I've got three friends. There's you, Matthew, and Amy of the 50 people that was retail investors who was invited. And of course, Corey Steuben uh, and uh, Sandy Monroe. I know them as well too. So it's pretty cool. You were there. What was your impression? What are the goals that are setting and uh, what other uh, impressions did you get? Yeah. So what was really, I saw it as a positive thing because I see the vision and the, the image of the future that they're trying to portray. And they're literally asking for, for everyone to be on the same page to focus on that because nobody's looking that way. And it's almost like the, uh, the, the famous quote by Wayne Gretzky is like, be where the puck mm -hmm. is going to be. And mm -hmm. so that's essentially what Tesla is doing with, with, with the master plan three is they're saying, this is the direction that we're going to go. And this is what we need to focus on. And to get everyone on board, and that's the thing. It's like when when Elon said, uh, I think it was twenty fifteen or sixteen. I forgot the exact year. He said that oh, we're gonna uh, project to do five hundred thousand cars in twenty twenty. Right. And they were like four hundred ninety nine point something. Like they were off by a couple hundred vehicles. Yeah. So basically, they okay. were able to meet that goal. But everyone was saying they're crazy. That's not gonna happen, right? <laughs> because you're making like fifty fifty thousand cars, right? Right. And so. And, and like the suppliers aren't believing them. Like they, they go to back to suppliers like, oh, wait, we only, well, we thought you're not going to make it. So we only made a few thousand, right? So they're, they're going through this situation where like nobody believes them and the suppliers don't even believe them. And so when Elon hits 500,000, it's like, well, that, oh yeah, now it's like, it's reality. So everyone's like, oh yeah, okay. But wait, wait, wait. before that, everyone said you can't do it. It's impossible. And so we were able to do it. Tesla was able to do it. And then now with Master Plan 3, it's like, oh, we're going to do 20 million vehicles and then we're going to use zero rare earth materials and it's, and then increase the storage by 20, 240 terawatt hours. Like, like these numbers are like, I can't even grasp right now because it's so huge. We're just talking about gigafactory, like gigawatt section. It's like now it's a terawatt, right? So people don't realize like these numbers are so huge that they're way out there. They're like, oh, you know, we can't even figure out that. So it's like, we're going to focus on the one thing that we can. It's a 20 million vehicles, but there's so much more to it, the cost reduction and, and the land usage and the, how much you're going to use in, in the battery. So like when you're talk, talking about that, it's like, wow, this is like stuff I didn't think of. Like they're going into 
the that the factory is the product part in depth. That was that's pretty much part of that whole underlying current of the they were unveiling the entire product line and saying this is the trajectory we're gonna go. And then everyone's focusing on this like, oh, how are they gonna get the 20 million vehicles? And and oh it's you know they didn't provide enough information. It's like, well if you don't say which where your direction and your goal is, you're not gonna be able to make anything happen. And if you don't plan it, even if you fail or if you're delayed a couple of years, if you don't write it out, you can't make it happen. So you have to make this goal happen because I don't I don't hear any of the other OEMs or the other battery manufacturers saying they're going to go out and do this kind of investment or or at least try to make this happen. So when Tesla's making this happen, you're trying to get every sector of this whole production line from the ground of digging up the minerals to making the car all the way to the factory and then shipping it. Like you're trying to revolutionize that entire part. And so I thought it was like, wow, this is a lot of information. <laughs> I got to digest this. So it was like he's putting the goalpost way out there now and saying, this is where we're going to go. And somehow that doesn't seem to translate into the media because when I'm there and I'm seeing the production line, I see the tour and then talking to other people and I see the pr- presentation and then I come out and I see the headlines. It's like, did they not? get any of the stuff that they're talking about it's, a, it's like I, I feel like it's night and day when what i saw is is really fascinating to me like this discrepancy of what i saw versus what they're talking about okay so you're very very excited as we all are many of us are still very pumped you know i do need to bring it to the topic of price cuts because there is a kind of a, a chasm right now between tesla investors many of them are complaining What's going to happen if you keep cutting prices and you're not going to have any margins and Tesla's stock will not rise anymore? What's your opinion about this? Um, what's your position well, on this? The price cut isn't to the point where you're not, they're not making gross margins. So I don't know why that would be an issue in the first place. And the thing is, like, when I first bought my uh, Model 3 in 2018, they did a, like, Basically, I, I did a reconfiguration of the same thing uh, it, about 18 months after. It was like $12,000, $10,000 cheaper. And it's partly because of the uh, the credits, the $7,500 credit and the state uh, incentives. So, But even including that, it was still cheaper. If I remove that as part of the incentive, it's still cheaper by a few thousand dollars. So I didn't see anybody complain then. Everyone was rejoicing that it was way cheaper. And you can, it was more affordable. So I'm confused with the run-up of all the commodities and lithium and because of the pandemic, the price has gone up. So it would be normal to put it back down. It doesn't make any sense. Like even on, on just that scale, regardless of whether there's this quote-unquote issue of demand or not, they would still bring it down because it went up so much. It was like 50% higher than it was before. So why wouldn't you bring it down when your cost structure is down and your, your, your cost is lower and, and the shipping isn't? like five times more or whatever it was before, right? So that's coming down. So why would you artificially keep it up? Like some of these OEMs, like I'm starting to read news, like other OEMs purposely restricted uh, making vehicles to retain their value of the vehicle so that if the leases come back or the leases default or whatever, they could sell the car for the, the value that they had projected. So they're actually trying to control the price to artificially to keep the price of the vehicle Whereas Tesla is trying to get it into as many hands as possible. So I'm confused on why it's a negative thing to do the price cut. And this 
this economic climate. Like nobody predicted they're going to be like seven percent from two percent. So you have to adjust to what's happening in the economic climate at that moment. So it's not like it's going to be to the point where they're going to keep on doing price cuts. They make no money on it. That's 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 never been the equation for Tesla, and they've they've always made money on their vehicles. So. It's interesting to me that this price cut has such a negative effect on on the current climate. When in 2019 it didn't, people were actually happy that it was way cheaper. So I, I'm I'm kind of confused because it's not the first time that you know Tesla has price cuts. They've raised the price and lower it depending on the situation. When their cost comes down or the economic climate, they would change the price based on it. The difference is that. Tesla does it publicly, universally, in those regions. They, it's not, it's not biased. It's not like one dealer gives you one. Like there's a mark of ten thousand mm-hmm. above MSRP. Like you, you don't have that situation because it's always consistent, right? And then some people could feel like, oh, they could have gotten a better deal if they waited. You know, that they're at that change time when it's like three months ago it changed, and they could have bought the car cheaper if they waited a little bit. So do you have some of the people like that when you're at the bad timing of it, but it's universally the same for everyone. So it's interesting to me that when there's price changes, depending on the situation, the economic time, then people react to it differently. But these price cuts is not uh, something that's unusual. It's been a normal part of operations for Tesla for the last seven, eight years since they got the Model S out. So I see it as part of the normal activities of the operation. Okay, so you're pretty confident that you you're are you still projecting by next week earnings call that you're expecting an auto gross margin of at least twenty percent. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what percent, uh, but I think that would be a pretty good number to be around because I don't think it's going to go down too far. But but my yeah. thing is like also it's like I'm not so focused on the quarterly thing. If it if it goes below it one quarter. They're gonna fix mm-hmm. it sometime later, right? So it's not it's, that's the point of what the, these numbers become. It's like, like people were trying to change the investor day into earnings call, and I was in one of the chats and 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 I said it's not an earnings call. So when they're saying like, oh, you didn't give us these numbers that would be typical mm-hmm. for earnings call, it's like, well, it's not an earnings call. And so when people try to delineate into a quarterly number, and if well, what if they don't meet it? Well, does that mean that you're gonna sell off all your shares? Right, it's a, it doesn't make any sense to me. Like just because you buy, but you buy your house, and then a month later it goes down in value, you're gonna go sell your house again. Like it does, it, that's not the mentality that I have because I believe I'm a part owner of the of the company. So if they don't hit that margin, I'm sure they're gonna fix it somehow. They're gonna, but the fact that they're still making a great margin on it, it's gonna be a great margin compared to other companies. So you have to take into account it's from Q4 to Q1. Q1 is usually typically the lowest time that you of sales for automotive. There's the holidays; people have to pay their holiday bills and what and so forth, right? So the fact that they're continually, consecutively going positive in amount of de- uh, deliveries, the revenue growth for the last three years, and people don't put that into context that the other companies have gone negative 33%, negative 25%. So they could have gone up the last couple uh, months or a couple of quarters. But overall, the last three years, they've gone down consistently. And, and some of them, like if you look at five-year chart, like I think it's Ford, it's like it's going down slightly. Like so, like it's not going up. So when you have to look at it from like, okay, this quarter, okay, draw back to the year, three years, and five years. Where where is the trajectory going? 
So because when people focus so much on these like one number, okay, this one quarter went down, so therefore doing so bad. No, it's not. You have to look at the whole context of it. Because if you keep on doing that, it's like, well, you're going to go sell it tomorrow and then you're going to go buy it again tomorrow. It's just like, well, if I did that, I would, I would have never held on to any of my shares. Because, so this is one thing that happened, right? In 2013, two uh, supposedly key engineers, uh, one who eventually becomes the CEO of Lucid, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, Tesla, I mean, he didn't, there's a lot of you know, issues around that. But so people reacted negatively to it, right? The headlines go crazy. And in one day, the worst single day for Tesla's stock was negative 19.9% after that announcement. The two key engineers had left the Model S program. So people can re- overreact on so many things, but it's just like, it's the program itself doing well and where it's headed towards to. So this gross margin, if it doesn't hit 20%, then they'll figure it out by next quarter, right? So if it doesn't, it's not a big deal for me because I've been in it so long that there's been up and down, it, it way worse. And people talk about like the last year being like, you know, really bad. It gone down 50% or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, did you see from 2016 to 2019, like that four year period? If you like pinpoint, there's a section where you could actually buy the stock cheaper in 2019 than 2016. <laughs> so that whole four year period, That's I crazy. still held on to it. I mean, yeah. I didn't look at it often when I was going down, but it's, I still held on to it. But if you read every little detail, every little number, and it didn't go your way, and you're going to go react to it and then go buy and sell, depending on that, you would never get anywhere with it. That's why you, you, like when you're a long-term investor, you're looking at the bigger picture, and you understand that if one quarter doesn't meet your numbers, then you just mm-hmm. look at the next two quarters, three quarters. Now, if it happens every quarter for like a whole year, then you might have to readjust and re- reassess the situation. But that's not the case in this situation where it's going up, and it's so when you do a price cut, yeah, you're going to have some of the margin go down maybe, but maybe the cost went down too. That's why they're able that's to give it to yeah. the customers, right? So yeah. I don't think that's going to be like the cost is the same as before, as Q3 or Q4, and then say, oh, we're going to do a price cut just because we want to get more deliveries. No, I, I, it's because they're not looking at the stock. They're looking at the, the cost of the product and if they could lower it down or not, and then the interest rate and so forth. There's so much stuff that if people can't buy it, then you have to figure out a way for them to buy it. But when you have 7% on your, on your car loan, that's a, that's a huge difference. And it, and it's affecting the, the housing market too. Like people, people don't want to sell because they can't buy. Typically you have to sell to, to your house to buy the next house. Right. So well, you can't buy it because of the interest rate. So nobody sells. So now you're in this downward spiral where like people are holding on it. And there's very limited uh, houses even on being offered on to be sold. So, it's a, this whole climate is affecting everyone in every sector. So you can't take it out of, out of context as well. It's just like, oh, there's this one quarter. It's not going to be to your standard, to the estimate of it. And then what's really interesting is that somehow Tesla is like taken out of context when they, they've gone up green every single quarter in the entire pandemic and now. And they, wait, it, am I missing something here? It's just like <laughs> the other companies are going negative. And yet they're like, oh, they didn't meet their estimate. <laughs> like, Love it. It's like they had shut down, lockdown. Like they like yeah. so. Yeah, let's get back to the financials of Tesla. We'll end with that. But I want to ask you again about Investor Day. You said something about um, you had met Franz and uh, you heard something interesting. Yeah. What, so this is also goes back to the the how they're always keeping in line with their cost structure and uh, and capital efficiency. Is that you know uh, you know we're, we're going to meet and greet. 
stuff. And then, uh, and someone asked him about like, Oh, you know, would you offer more colors because people want more colors they are kind of tired of the six colors. And, and so, you know, he responded basically saying, you know, you, you could have a hundred colors offered. Right. And someone's still going to complain that it's still not good enough. Yeah. Someone's going to complain about it. So you have to be efficient and, and streamline what you want to focus on. You can't do everything. You have to do what's like the most best choice possible and then the most capital efficient. So you can focus on adding more colors and more options and more interior options and whatnot, or you could focus on the next product and focus on the next batteries, right? That like, where is your focus on? And if, if you really want a color and you're not going to buy a car because of a color, then you could just invest in a wrap. Right. If, if, it, if the color is the reason why you're not going to buy the car, I think you're also not in the right space in terms of buying that vehicle. So I think the em- emphasis on like having so much choice in all these interior choices and whatnot, I think becomes more of a hindrance when you're trying to streamline it. And so this is the other interesting part because I, I took a transportation design class and back in the day, right? So what's interesting about the fact that Tesla hasn't changed their design very much, it doesn't feel obsolete. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the model feed is sold today, right? It's the same as my 2018 one. So you actually don't feel the difference. But if you have a new uh, like model, exterior model, every single year, or every two years or whatever, then then you feel like you have an older model. But the other thing is that like, since I got my car also, like the, the OTA, they got the creep. They got, uh, the car got faster, right? They have uh, the, the FSD beta. Like, the, like my car is better now, significantly better than it when I bought it. So I don't feel like it's old. But when you have this reiteration of design every year, every few years, that makes mm-hmm. it look old too. So it, it's a constant part. You're not focused on the exterior of the vehicle because you have nothing else to work on. You have so much more to work on, including the software where they, they've been putting a lot of time mm-hmm. into. So you see that difference in the focus and like where are you focusing on that makes the most return on your product, that makes the best product, where, people, where the people who are buying it are going to be happier even after they bought it, right? So the other car companies aren't quite doing that. And the, some of them, uh, the Rivian has an OTA thing, but like all the other car companies, you have to go into the dealer to update it. So even the model itself is not it's set up the same way. It's, you know, Tesla is working off of the, obviously the way the iPhone has the OTAs, but for a vehicle now. And then you have FSD beta that's like significantly changed the outlook of the vehicle. And that's the other part too. It's just that they don't they don't talk about like that focus is just as important. And if you focus on so many other things and the customers want all these other options, you're not gonna be able to go to the next step. And maybe that's the change that we need, right? Like I charge at the mall. I don't charge or at home or at the mall, but I don't charge at the gas station anymore. Right. So your behavior yeah. is changing already depending on the product. So maybe we shouldn't need to focus on design and, and color options and have it different every other year. Like maybe we should just focus on the actual product within itself and it only change the exterior design once in a blue moon. Because that's that's yeah. not that's not doesn't make me happier. And besides the other thing is like I'm in the car, right? I'm not looking outside the car the entire time. I'm in the car. So I'd rather have the features in my car improve than the exterior of it. And so that's also a shift in mentality too. Like before you were like, oh, I want a newer design car because that's a newer one because nothing in the interior improves after you bought it. But in the Tesla, it improves. The inside it actually improves. So I, I just feel like there's this focus that needs to be changing and people haven't yeah. caught up quite to that point. No, that's all good. So you are bullish, right? Pretty bullish regardless yes. of the macro? 
or you're just going to hold on to it regardless. Or again, you're not worried about the price cuts. You're not concerned about the margins. You said that maybe it'll impact this quarter, but they'll make up for it in the future. You're still very much a long-term person. And so you're bullish at yes. this point, right? Yeah. Yes. Well, the, the other thing is also that it's not like the products aren't getting better and they're not working yeah. on the cost structure and the manufacturing, right? Before, you know, when my 2018 Model 3 did not have the single casting, now they had a single casting, right? right? So yeah. instead of having 70 parts, they have one, right? So it's also like, you know, one thing is that uh, one thing they also showed in the production line was what well, the motor, right? The motor had changed and they improved it. So everything they showed in production line is like you see in a regular production line, but they improve every part that they can improve on. It's not like, hey, we just got this. Okay, we're going to keep using the same thing. And you've seen that happen in the industry where they just keep on using the same thing and they don't innovate right. it. So they're actually yeah. innovating everything you, you, you think that you, won't, you don't need to innovate anymore. They're still innovating on those and making radiations and making it better. So it's not like you just focus on the new parts, but they're also focused on the entire thing, that production line, even now to improve it. So that's why when the investor they talked about the unboxing stuff, yeah. that, I feel like that's the next generation. I, I also studied about mass production going into lean production. And so this is the other part why I'm much more bullish on Tesla and why they can keep up, keep on doing stuff that doing it because they're changing the actual processes that they're making the product. And yeah. this is the other part that like Toyota, I wish would focus on it because they make great quality cars. You know, my family has had it for uh, many years and so forth. But the thing is that I don't think people realize, okay, why aren't they changing or why are these OEMs not changing is because part of it is because they built these relationships with the suppliers. And you have relationships yes. with the suppliers. It's not just a business relationship you've had. Some of these relationships, like in Toyota and other, um, maybe even Nissan, they actually, some of them own part of the stock of that supplier and vice versa. So it becomes more like a parent company and a subsidiary kind of relationship. And the reason why they had that is because they could go into the other company and say, hey, this part needs better quality control. So let's look at what's going on in the process and let's improve it. And they'll be able to do that quickly and they've had permission to do so because they're working together. So when you have that relationship, it's great to improve the product. But it's not good when it's like a revolutionary situation where like, you know, the internal combustion engine has 270 plus parts to it, moving parts to it. And then the electric motor has 12. Well, now you don't need all that stuff. So what happens if you're one of the suppliers of that engine part? Well, you don't need it anymore. You can't get rid of it. So you had that business relationship. You, you own each other's stock and then you have this financial part that your marriage sort of like a marriage so now you can't like detach from each other when you don't need an entire part anymore and so i think that's why the shift is so much harder and they're trying to shift into like the hydrogen kind of thing where it mimics the same yeah. business model yeah <laughs> so again they're trying to mimic the business model so it, it and so the business model on on tesla side is like okay let's just improve the entire process so that we make it even cheaper because if you wait so this is the other thing that my my uh interpretation was like if you waited for the battery improvements to get there we can get there with just the battery improvement it just takes probably 20 years longer and part of the reason why it's like one of the, uh, the, the information i looked up was the first rechargeable battery was by sony in 1991 it was three thousand kilowatt uh three thousand dollars per kilowatt hour and today it went back up right from 2021 at 150 151 kilowatt per hour somewhere around there uh, it's still 95%, 96% cost reduction from 30 years ago. So you have to understand that it, it, you waited just for the battery technology to to get better. You can get there. The problem is that you have to wait longer, and we can't be waiting that much longer. That's why they're, they're creating a whole entire 
assembly situation that's like the unboxing method that's going to be different. Uh, and even for CyberTrack, get rid of the painting for that matter, right? It never occurred to any of the other OEMs to get rid of the painting itself, right? It's like yeah. six, seven hours of drying, take the you know, body part, or put it back on. Like if, if you see in a production line and you eliminate the entire part, that's a huge chunk of the production line that you don't need. So you become much more efficient at what you're doing. And then you could, the people who really want a color, you could, you could pay a little extra and then make, make that color the way that you want it. So it, this whole thinking process where the, you're literally up, upending the entire pro, uh, process of production, that's where the focus needs to be to get this uh, part cheaper. And then before, like, so this is the thing when, when Tesla's like innovating the product, but we're, we're thinking everything as the same as the past. So, you know, what happens to a gas station? Where do you charge and all this other stuff, right? So like, you know, 20 million cars, well, you're using today's numbers, like, well, that's impossible because like, you know, 40% of the market, et cetera, right? But we have to upgrade the way we look at it around that product and that whole, even the factory. So when Giga Shanghai went up and uh, Berlin and Texas went up, you know, we're like, oh, you know, you need to get to 20 million. We need like uh, 10 more factories, right? To take over the <laughs> yes. entire fleet. That's what right. a lot of us said, right? Because yeah. we're using yesterday's thinking. But with the Gigafit Mexico, it's uh, basically half One the fourth. footprint inside the factory. Yeah. And then yeah. the factory is double the size of, of Texas. So by yes. that calculation, it should be somewhere around six to seven million vehicles. Some, some people saying the factory is not double the size of Texas. The land that they purchased was. They haven't clarified that the factory itself. I was told that. But still, yeah. it's probably so going to be bigger. We, we don't... We don't know exactly the the size it's going to be, but we know for sure that it's going to be significantly bigger, uh, better production rate and um, total amount that they can produce. So even a guesstimate of six, seven million, wherever it's going to be at, it's not going to be one or two million that we had originally calculated. So that changes the way that you look at, well, how many more factories do we even need on the production side? And maybe they mean one more. Because yeah. the other part that is like, like they're making all these announcements because everyone's focused on Tesla. Like they're expanding, adding parts to Giga Shanghai, to Giga Texas. They're adding more to the factory. So the original amount that we had calculated is, has to shift too. So they're constantly innovating the actual production side too to meet the demands of what they're trying to do and innovate the process in which they had. And so I think when you're looking at the production line and they're saying, okay, when this unboxing thing where you don't have to change, take it off, you just put it all together at the very end. That process and how they take apart those parts and how they implement into the previous factories also is, is an interesting part that I look forward to because it's it's not just that you do it in the new factory only. You're going to have to start somewhere with the other parts in the other factories. So they have, they're they going to implement that way too. So single casting with the Model Y, now it's in the Model 3, right? So it's, it, it, it trickles down to everything else that they do. And so we have to think in terms of, okay, what is it going to be over when they're going to be able to do that? What the climate is going to be like, what other elements is it, is it going to be that we need to change our thinking to match it? So even, even this, the, the competition is coming and the, the demand issue always comes up. I don't know, every couple of years, the same thing comes up. I, I, I'm pretty sure you noticed it, right? The last <laughs> decade, everyone's saying the same thing again. It's a demand issue, demand issue. And it's like, I, I think it's the difference between like the people wanting a vehicle and then being able to actually get the car and afford it. That there's a difference. Just because the numbers went down one quarter doesn't mean that they don't want the car. And because if it goes down consecutively and they've done price cuts, then you can say that, which has happened with the other OEMs. The, the price, like it's not just the price, it's about, it's already lower, but 
their sales are going down. So th- there's this part that I feel like we're using the yesterday's way of thinking, even the advertising thing that's been coming up, like mm-hmm. yesterday's way of thinking to basically attach the solution of, of what Tesla doing for tomorrow. Like even the advertising was interesting as like uh, the TV ads and stuff at like Super Bowl, they don't put any of it, but it, it like spiked the amount of people having interest in Teslas, right? Mm-hmm. But because of that spike, were they able to sell more cars? Like I don't think they can meet the demand already as it is. It's just, mm-hmm. And then if one quarter isn't as stellar as the other one, I don't think it's, it's a reason for it. And the problem with also going into these traditional like past way of doing things is once you get into that one, then now you're kind of in that cycle. So if you go into, okay, let's only do 100 million of advertising. Well, if the other competitors are spending four or five billion, they're still gonna prioritize <laughs> them. So unless you go start putting as much as they do or somewhere close to it, you're not gonna be noticed and not gonna be prioritized because now you get into that hamster wheel of, of playing their game. And it doesn't make any sense when we've gone this far without it. Interesting. And there's other avenues that's already popped up that you don't have to use that. And that's a shift in also the system in which you're using for advertising and marketing. The word of mouth is still the strongest. Somehow everyone knows a Tesla, right? If it's an EV mm-hmm. space, they know Tesla is there, but they've never done a single advertising, mm-hmm. right? And and if you, and this is the other part, maybe people may know that other these content creators like yourself may know, is that if you use a video that Tesla made and use it in your YouTube channel or whatever video that, that monetizes, they don't, they don't ever flag you or care. say anything. But if you do that yep. with any other OEM, they'll copyright yes. flag you and demonetize you like really fast because they want to control everything that's there. Why? Because Tesla is confident that their product is good, that they can hand it off to someone else and let them talk about it, have a whole channel on it. They're confident <laughs> enough that the product is good. That's why they can do that. If you're not, you're not confident with your service or product, you wouldn't be able to just hand it to someone, a third party and say, hey, you do the review. That's, that's how I see it. That's why they... There's a, I follow so many YouTube people who are Tesla related, talk about YouTube stuff, I mean, uh, Tesla stuff and the financials in the product. But if you don't have confidence in the product, you can't do that. So mm-hmm. it's also changing the shift in mentality, how you advertise. And then you don't have to, you only have to make that content once as an OEM. You only make it once and then you give it out freely to the other content creators who want to talk about it. And they make, they make money by making their videos around that. So everyone wins without incurring more costs. But what happens when you make an advertisement and you sell it once or use it once? Well, you have to keep on paying to have it showing over and over again. Mm. You're going to go to another place, another channel. You have to pay more again. So it's not just the initial cost of making that advertisement. Now you have to keep on paying for it. So I think I think the social media ad is obviously taking, starting to take over and whatnot. And I think that's yeah. more of an avenue if you're going to do advertising. Uh, Elon has Twitter and so forth. But I think... Yeah. The way that we're thinking as uh, what I understood in Investor Day is that we have to upgrade the way we think about everything around us, not just the product. And that's the harder part to grasp it. And like they did basically a product unveil without doing product unveil. Like there's two things that's covered in the, in the, in the blanket. It's like on the, on the side. Well, they did an unveil without unveiling. They said everything around it, how to make it. They're going to make it efficient and whatever, but they didn't unveil it. So I feel like it could be a bus. It could be a van. It, and and the Gen 3 platform. So there's a lot that's that's there that we don't know about that they've made these guesstimates. And I put it on the Elon time, so maybe they may be off by a year or two. That's the way mm-hmm. I look at it because you can't you can't be projecting that far out and be precise on it. <laughs> I know someone's going to say, 
hey, you said it's going to be 20, uh, 20, 30, it's going to be 20 million. Well, that's the best guess they made. I know there's going to be there because there's, you, it's never a straight road. It's never a straight road. It, it's never have been, right? So it's, they think that's the best uh, calculation they've, they've had so far with the stuff that they're working. So, you know, they're gonna, my interest is also how are they going to go to zero rare earth materials? It's, it's like no recycling or no uses at all. Like, how do they switch from that, right? Like that's, that's more of like, how do you get there is my, what's more interesting. And as opposed to saying, oh, those numbers or those stuff doesn't work. Like, I want to know how they're going to get there. That's what I want to understand. So, and it's like, I didn't ask, you know, because I did, I've done design stuff. I asked Franz about design stuff about like, so, you know, why didn't you put the Model S um, turn signals on each, on, each, on each side, right? Well, if you try to grab a drink, with one hand and you need to press the signal, you, you can't yet, yet put down the arm, then, right? So they've thought through a lot of the stuff that we think that it's a little annoying or because the perspective that we're coming from is from a regular car. So they, they've tried a lot of stuff. They've, they've thought through the certain parts to say, like, well, these design stuff, you know, that's been out for five years or whatever else, they've thought through a lot of stuff that uh, seems like we can't understand, but they've gone through a lot of these processes that, it's really interesting that I think we don't really give them credit that they've thought through this stuff and they made the best guess possible within the means that they have. And I'm yeah. pretty sure they know more than we do. Oh, I'm pretty sure too. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Um, I love the way that we you, you went back and uh, shared with us the history of what happened to the electric vehicle market and the competitors way back early on. What made Tesla succeed wasn't just a great, compelling car, but the business model and the cost reduction, focus on cost. And then we talked about right now, this year, what they're focusing on. You've got a lot to say. I want to bring you back. <laughs> you got to come back, Thank talk you. about other topics. But this was a great one. Um, I feel great. I learned a lot. And I usually bring people in that I haven't spoken to before, and you're just a new one that uh, I'm getting lucky. I appreciate that. Uh, Thank I you found you. And, yeah, yeah. It was it was Xander Sky who introduced me to you. I've known you. We've met and talked in Clubhouse a few times. So you got to join me at, on uh, Xander on uh, Cyberbulls one day. Oh, I and love we'll talk you. stock and investing. But this was great. Thank you so much. So folks, follow Sat on Twitter. He has a handle uh, at sa underscore futurist. I'll put it in the uh, in the uh, descriptions. Thank you again, Sat. So, you know, I'm pretty sure you guys learned something, got you a little bit brighter, something you didn't know before. So please subscribe, follow Sat, and uh, thank you very much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Sat. Thank you.